may be seated. As you have a seat, I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 this morning, Matthew chapter 5. Once again, we're very thankful, Dr. Thorson, for your leadership and our Carson Newman a cappella choir who's been with us in all two of our previous services and now here with us this morning. Many of you remember Cameron Hughes who grew up here at Dawson and was on staff with us this past summer. And so we're thankful that Cameron is with us this morning and also uh, her, uh, the, the Carson Newman uh, choir this morning. I, I tell you, this, this weather reminds me, when, when you have these thunderstorms come through Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana and Tennessee, I and mean, we're really wherever you live in the southeast, I mean, there is this sense of foreboding of hopefully it's not tornadic. Uh, south of us, certainly there's that sense, but there's also this sense of, of what it's like when you have these storms come through, these lines of thunderstorms come through in the, in the middle of the night, and, and you're awoken by the, the sound of silence that, that is not, a, not an old friend in that moment, but it, it is this, this sense of, 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 of eeriness that occurs when the sounds of your home are, are mute because there's not electricity. The box fans that are in your house are, are not working or, or the hums of the refrigerator and the refrigerator are silent. And oftentimes in, in the Eldridge household, I will wake up first as the electricity is off. And, and I know I'm supposed to have flashlights like close by, but if I can find one, the batteries don't work. And so it's all of this fumbling and tripping over things. And, and usually I wake up my, my sons and, and they are a little bit, you know, weirded out by the, the darkness that has engulfed them. And so I'm trying to ask Danielle, where's, where's a match? Where are candles? And, and, and there's a little bit of anxiety, to be honest with you, that, that builds up in that moment. There, there's something about darkness. I, I'm not afraid of the dark, but there's just something about not being able to see in front of you in the pitch black darkness that can be a little overwhelming. But it's amazing when you're able to find a match and you're able to find a candle and to light that candle and, and to see the way that that, that that one flame illumines the darkness of the room. And you have vision. You have a, a way where no matter how dark the night has been, the, the, the light shines forth in it and, and it calms, it relieves, it gives sight. And it's interesting in the inspiration of Scripture that, that Jesus, out of all the metaphors that he could utilize to describe your role and my role as followers of Christ in this dark world, that he would call us the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, we're called to shine brightly for him in a dark world because Jesus says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp. And put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we looked at the passage of Scripture that precedes this that says we're called to be the salt of the earth. And throughout church history, there's been a little bit of conversation among scholars and teachers of God's word is, is this a repetition and just a restatement, salt of the earth, light of the world? 
Are these synonyms restated in different images, or is there a distinction? Luther, the great German reformer, 16th century, comes to this passage in his exposition of Matthew's gospel, and he makes a sharp distinction that the salt of the earth represents the good deeds that we are called to do, the fruit of the Spirit that is called to be exemplified in your life and in my life. So your integrity at work, your fidelity to your marital vows, your kindness, your consideration, that these are all salt of the earth acts that we have. And then he made a sharp distinction that the light of the world is actually the verbal proclamation of the gospel. That the light of the world is the calling that we have on our lives to share with people what Jesus has done in and through the finished work of the gospel on the cross. Now, Luther, it's interesting when you actually look at the passage here because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, there is not as strong of a dichotomy between salt of the earth and light of the world, the nonverbal witness and the verbal witness. I mean, Jesus himself says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your Good works. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So shining as the light of the world isn't solely sharing the gospel news as we have conversations with people. Our good works are more than that. But, but there are no good works that are more important than to be able to share with someone the hope of salvation that has captured our heart. No, no matter how good of a person you are, a person who is in the darkness of their sin cannot look at your integrity and by just watching you at work being an honest person realize, one, I'm a sinner, two, that God in my sinful state sent his son to live a perfect life, to die a death upon the cross, and on the third day he raised him from the grave and if I would but put my faith in him and his finished work, then I too will be saved. That, that is something that we must share. The marketing plan that God in his infant wisdom has is not to proclaim in the clouds how one is to be saved and all the calling that you have to do is to say, look up. As beautiful as the canvas of creation that he has before us that shows us this artistry of his handiwork, that points us to the creativity of our Father and Son and Holy Spirit in the midst of creation. One cannot look at a tree and examine a tree and then realize from the examination of that tree that they are a sinner and that one day, 2,000 years ago, a tree was made into a cross and that cross became the place of the death of God's eternal Son living here on the earth. That, that is a message that must be shared. You are a Christian because someone shared with you the good news of the gospel. They were a light to you. So your good works are the fruit of the Spirit in your life, but there is a good work that is a primary task that we're called to do, and that is to share with people our light, pointing them to the greater light, and that is the light of Jesus Christ. In this passage here, I want you to discover three principles, the installation of your light, the intention of your light, and the interference of your light. Let us first with me, the installation of your light. We don't shine without the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. In our culture, it is foreign to hear what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, 
But now you are light in the world. Lord, walk as children of light. As we, before we become believers, it isn't that we're just sick in need of a, a, a doctor to, to help us look within and to heal ourselves. No, we, we are dead in our sins. We're in darkness, as the Apostle Paul says. So the light of salvation isn't a light that has always been present in our life that we must just look and discover through introspection. No, 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 no. We live in a day where new age religious teachings really prize the imagery of light. So an example of this would be the, the quotation from Amy Lee McCree, who says, find the light within you through meditation and introspection, and you will illuminate your life from within. Hear me clearly. You are not the answer to your darkness problem. You have to look not within, but you have to look without. Jesus is the answer. He is the light that is not within, but he is without. And as you accept him, in faith, so the light of the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. John chapter 8, verse 12, speaking of Jesus, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Well, those who do not follow him are still in darkness, but will have the light of life, is the words of Jesus here. So my question is, have you trusted not in a quote-unquote interior light that just needs to be dusted off by meditation and introspection, but if you trusted in the sufficiency of the light of the world who desires to save you in your darkness, and have you placed your faith in him? Notice with me the installation of your light. Notice with me the intention of your light. What is the purpose of the light? Well, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-6, through 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts, What's the purpose of him shining in our hearts? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the light is to point us back to the glory of God in his work in and through Jesus Christ. It's really a restatement, isn't it, of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Paul is drawing upon what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when he says that we are called... To, to shine brightly so that people may see our good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the purpose of your light is to point people to the greater light. The purpose of you shining is to point people to the source of the light that shines in and through you. This is the purpose. Not so people can look at you and say, man, that is a bright light there. But rather, where's the source of that light? Because the source of the light is the what that we is the intention of where we are pointing people in and through our works and in and through our words. That, that makes us apprehensive, though, doesn't it? Can, can all of us just agree that telling someone about this saving news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is hard to do? And oftentimes it's foreign to many of us. Now, aren't we thankful that someone cared about us enough to share with us that we were sinners in need of a great Savior? It, none of us are in this room without someone, a, a mother or a father or a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a friend, 
a co-worker, someone loved us enough to share with us and we're believers through his sovereign grace that captured us in our darkness. But the means that he utilized through the power of the Holy Spirit was people, ordinary people with ordinary words, ordinary conversations. Many of you maybe were saved at a revival. Many of you maybe were saved in, in some type of crusade type of environment. But somebody invited you to that. If somebody didn't invite you, somebody told someone and, and put up something and, and that, that you were able to see. So there's human agency in all of our salvation, although we're saved solely by his grace. God uses people in words. And we get nervous about it. I get nervous about it. Well, how, how, do, I, how do I talk to someone about this? What, what, if they, what if they would reject me about this? What if they don't share? What if they were offended? What if they won't ever talk to me about this? Recently, I, I heard a pen, you know Penn and Teller, the magic duo. Carson Newman, do you all know who Penn and Teller is? I wonder, okay, good, good. A lot of the older people here maybe know who they are, but I don't know how, how, how well they play. So Penn and Teller is a magic duo that's been around for, for years. So Penn's the taller guy who actually talks. Teller is the shorter person who's just like mute in the act. That's his stick, you know, so stitch. Um, and um, so he, he was sharing, Penn Gillette was sharing that after one of their magic shows that a gentleman came up to him after the show and said, I want to give you something here. And shared with him, Pendulette says, that this individual who was in the crowd shared with him the hope of salvation, gave him a Bible. And so Pen Gillette was reflecting upon that encounter. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Pen Gillette is just an avowed atheist. He's not nasty about it. He's not mad about it. But, but he's just not a believer. He's not a follower of Christ, to my knowledge. And, and he certainly wasn't when he was reflecting upon this a, a year ago. And this is what he said. He said, the man who came up to me was kind. He was nice. He wasn't crazy. He looked me into the eyes. He talked to me. And then he gave me this Bible. And then he thought about it some more. And he said, I've always said, this is Pendulet reflecting upon this. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. Because if you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. Pendulette asked, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? And he goes on as an avowed atheist. He says, let me, let me give you an example. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down upon you, there's a certain point that I tackle you to get your attention. And then he reflects, this is much more important than that. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite, he was honest, he was sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a Bible. 
I wonder why we don't. Well, there are a lot of reasons. In my own life, there are are a lot of reasons I, I don't share more often than I do. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's a, it is a concern that by going there, I'll never be able to have a normal relationship with that person. Sometimes it's just sin of indifference in my life. But I think when you boil it down, I think one of the reasons there's not a greater urgency in many of our lives could be twofold. One is we really don't believe that people who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ actually go to hell. I wonder if we live in this land of just sophistication and, you know, oh, all of that hellfire and brimstone, we don't do that anymore. And so we've diminished our conversations about hell. And over a period of time, if we're going to really get down to it, we, we might get the theological questions right on a questionnaire. But when you come down to the praxis, just the practical implementation, we really don't believe that people who do not trust Christ Jesus as their Savior actually go to a place called hell. And then secondarily, I I wonder in my own heart if I do believe that, but I just don't care. I just don't care. That, That we live in a day and age where we just have so much to do with our own family. And once we can check off the box, son, daughter, family members, they're good, then we're good. William Booth, 19th century England, founder of the Salvation Army, he reflects in a sermon published years and years ago of a dream that he had. And it was a dream of this countless number of men and women who were drowning in this vast sea. And their heads were bobbing up Asking help, help, help. And no one was coming to their rescue. And and I just wonder if in my own life, if there are times where I just don't care that someone, (laughs) because I don't share, could potentially spend an eternity apart from him and my lack of courage my lack of, of going and, and sharing with them and being intentional is just a reflection that, that I'm pretty self-sufficient and pretty self-centered in my family. And, and I pray for my children and I pray, but, but I don't go beyond that. And I fear that maybe that there's some of us in this room that could share that. That just our lack of intentionality to share with people is really an indication of a callousness to the lostness that is all around us. We have become well accustomed with lostness and it does not drive us to our knees in prayerful supplication for those that if less they they take the hand of the rescuer, they will drown in the sea of sin and death and eternally rest in a place called hell. This is true. And it should drive us to our knees, crying out that we would be a part and utilized by God to be able to share a verbal witness in in a way that would point people to him. There is the intention of our life that I want you to see. There is the installation of our life that I want you to see. And there's the interference of our light. Jesus says 
No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. I mean, you're a city on a hill. You're supposed to shine. So there's this farcical statement that Jesus uses that a lamp is intended to shine light so that people can see. This is the purpose of a light. This is your purpose. This is my purpose. We are called to shine so people would be able to see the source of that saving light in your life and my life. But we don't. What do we cover over our light with? Well, we cover it over with a lot of things. Jesus' day, the first century Jewish world, there was a group, there was a Jewish sect, S-E-C-T, that was called the Essenes. The Essenes were responsible for the production of what we know to be the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so they were a monastic sect that, that had as their goal to preserve the writings of the Old Testament and so those were passed down. In 1948, there was this wonderful discovery of much of the Old Testament that had been preserved in some pretty miraculous ways through their work. They were, they were called in that first century world the sons of light. But this is what's so ironic. The sons of light had retreated from the world and had gathered together in this monastic community because of the evils of the darkness of that Roman occupation. And I wonder at times, instead of seeing that God has placed us in the darkness of our workplace to shine, or he's placed us in the darkness of our communities to shine, I wonder at times if we retreat and we say, we as candles need to huddle up and stay behind the cupboard. (laughs) Well, a candle is intended to come out of the cupboard to shine in the darkness of where God has placed us. Not to huddle together. As candles that, that are never lit to shine, but, but we are called to shine brightly. And at times, we don't shine because of sin that is unconfessed in our life. You remember those old kerosene lamps that you would light, and over time, the, the darkness of the smoke would, would make the blackness of those glass globes that you would have to take apart, and you'd have to, what would you have to do? You would have to clean them. You remember this. And there are times where we don't confess our sins. Notice how 1 John 1, 9 says that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And notice the wording, to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There's some of us in this room that there's the interference of sin. So our light is dimmed because of unconfessed sin that we're not frequently taking to him in prayer. There are times that we don't shine out of callousness. I've mentioned that. There are times that we don't shine out of fear. I've mentioned that. So how can we shine brightly this week? What what are some words that we can take with us? What What are some light shining strategies? Well, in your together... I have just a a, a next step that I want to ask you to take. So take this little card that you have in the handout that you received as you came into the sanctuary this morning. It's entitled Network Evangelism. I just want to give you two words. I have eight words in my notes here, and I'm not going to get to eight words. But I just want to give you two. One is we shine prayerfully. So before you hear, there are five spheres of influence that you just naturally inhabit every week. There is a vocational aspect that whether you're a student or you're employed or an employer, that you're working alongside of people who very well may not know the hope of salvation that resides in you. And so we're praying, God, I want to pray for a coworker over this next year. A familial influence. Who's a family member, uncle, cousin, son, or daughter, that I'm just going to take to the Lord in prayer 
over this next year? Geographical, what neighborhoods do we live in, colleges that we attend, that God has given us the opportunity. If you're a student here, maybe it's somebody that's in your Spanish class here, and we're just praying for that geographical connection. Uh, Oftentimes, that person that lives close to us, commercial, all of us go to certain restaurants, and you could go to a restaurant and you sit down, and and before you even order, they they know what you want. I mean, you go there so often that you don't even have to place your order. You just say, I was with somebody this last week and he sat down and he said, just the usual, just usual. But that waiter, that waitress that sees you, the person at the dry cleaners, the person that cuts your hair every two, three, four weeks, however often that is, is an opportunity for you to shine. So we're praying by name for that person. And finally, Some of you are walkers, some of you are runners, some of you go to a gym, some of you uh, play music, and you're you're with people through your hobbies. There there are Alabama fans here, there are Auburn fans here, there are UAB fans here, there are tons of Mississippi State fans here, and uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. So, and and, and you you come to this time where you just say, I'm I'm with these people all the time. I heard a sermon this Tuesday night that really spoke to me in, in many ways. But, but one way that it spoke to me was that this pastor was sharing that Friday was just a time for prayer for friends. And that there were four friends that he and his wife prayed for every Friday that God would give them an opportunity to share the light of Jesus Christ. And what would it look like if all of us in this room... Really, this afternoon, I mean, what else are you going to do? It's pouring down rain outside. I mean, you, to go back to your home and to pray intentionally, who are these people that I can pray for? Who are these people that I could shine brightly for? I'm going to have to change some details here, but I'm going to tell you, I, I've been praying for, for this business owner and have been going to a a certain establishment for, I guess, a year and a half that I was here, and this person is a very, very nice person, and there's no doubt that they're of a, a, very faithfully committed to another religion, and it was interesting this week, because over a period of time, we've gotten to know each other, and we talk, and I I go in and see them, and we have great conversations, and many of you know that this past week, we hosted the State Evangelism Conference. So I was with him on Tuesday, and he goes, David, there's a lot of people at the church. What's going on? And I said, well, we're hosting the State Evangelism Conference. And we've had conversations for years or a year and a half now. And then he looked at me, and he said, what, what is evangelism? And he might as well have said, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> and... Now listen, I didn't come in with a track. I've just been praying for this person. And I shared with him what evangelism meant. And we had a conversation about it. We, we, I didn't leave and we were not on the same page. He didn't pray a sinner's prayer. But we're just one step closer to, I think, him understanding where the source of the light is. And, and that's your role. You don't save anybody. You're not the source of the light. You, we're just called with each conversation, with each day, with each month, to point someone closer to the source of saving light. What would it be like in your life if you did not have the assurance of God the Father's love for you? 
What would it be like in your life if you did not have the assurance that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sins? What would it be like if you did not have the assurance that the Holy Spirit resides in you and provides you a peace that passes all understanding? Well, there are people in our families. There are people that we work with. There are people that we shop next to and, and have hobbies with that don't have that peace of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And guess what? You are called to be that light. So this little light of mine, you're called to let it shine. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with people that we come in contact with. And I pray that you would give us those opportunities as we intentionally and prayerfully seek those opportunities in the days, weeks, months, and lifetimes ahead that are represented by our church congregation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.